Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. And what I loved about last week's sermon was that Pastor Sam highlighted that when you're out of isolation, you can actually lean on other people. You can actually make better decisions because you have people, you have wisdom around you, people who've gone before you. And so that was last week, step out of isolation into community in order to make better decisions. And so we touched on, um, well, really the the scripture that we're studying this month is found in Matthew 25, um, particularly the parable of the talents. So if you do have your Bible, you can go there with me now, um, and then we'll read it out quite soon. So often when we think of decisions, right, sometimes we, as I highlighted before, we think of the regretful decisions that we make. I don't know about you, but sometimes we make a decision, we've taken the risk, and then it's a bit of like a, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Sometimes when we're at family dinner, and my two nephews are actually here on um, here in Lift Kids, but sometimes we'll be sitting at the dinner table, and one in particular doesn't like to eat his food. But I end up interacting with him and kind of start to play a game with him and then later regret it because it stops me from eating his food. So sometimes maybe you're a bit like me where you've done something you're like, oh, I should have done that. Most of the time, that's what we tend to do. But sometimes our regrets can come in a different form where if you are like me, sometimes you prefer to step out and do the risky, take the risky decision. And then sometimes when you don't, that's what leads to regret. Instead of choosing the risk, you've actually chosen the safe option. And that has caused you to regret. Anyone a bit like that this morning? You prefer the risky option, but when you don't take it, like, yes, yes, good. I'm getting some nods. Fantastic. So what I've come to know is that I think I prefer the risky option just because I don't want to live a life that's safe. Caution is really good. And like we heard last week, wisdom is amazing. I love wisdom. The Bible talks about making wisdom your best friend, making it your guide. And I totally believe in that. But sometimes the risky option is the option we need to take when we're going to live a life of faith in Jesus Christ. It's almost like we can't actually live a life of faith without taking some risks sometimes. So for me, just a little bit of a personal story. As a year 12, right? I don't know if um, if this kind of happens a lot now, but as a year 12, you get this opportunity to be a... Um, So at our school, we called it head boy, head girl, and then you have the prefects, right? So um, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun to go for head girl, go for that head position, because then you're able to lead this team, you can affect change in your school, and it's awesome. And so I went for it, and after the first round of interviews, I was feeling pretty good about myself. I was like, okay, those went really well. And then I um, began to chat with all the other girls, and some of my best friends were going for it, and um, and. I basically just sized myself up against them and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't actually think I have what it takes compared to those girls. I think, I think they'd be much better. And so what I ended up doing was withdrawing from writing book for head girl. So bad. Um, and so in between this first and second interview, because there was two interviews you had to do, um, uh, the potential head boy who ended up being the head boy and the principal on separate occasions came to me and they're like, so excited to actually be able to work with you this year um, in, in your position of head girl. I think you're going to be amazing. I think we're going to get lots done together. It's going to be awesome. And so when I told them that I'd actually withdrawn, they they were pretty disappointed. They were like, oh, 
he totally would have gotten it. And my principal actually said, really? He totally had it in the bag. <laughs> oh, you tell me that now. <laughs> totally would have stayed in the game. So um, after the second interview, it was all sweet, and I ended up with um, the profile of uh, worship prefect, and that was cool. And got to um, lead some of our students often in prayer meetings and worship sessions and things like that. And we did do a few really cool things throughout the year. But there was that definitely that sense in me that because of the decision I made, there was this sense of regret. There was this, oh, I had this awesome opportunity to actually impact young people in my school. I went to a Christian school, which was such a blessing for me. But I knew that not every um, child that went there was a believer in Jesus Christ. And they were still on, on their journey to finding him. And so I had this amazing opportunity. And then I, I decided not to go for it. I had so much regret in that way. And so it's times like these that sometimes we start off thinking, no risks, no regrets. It's going to be fine. And then at the end of it, we find that uh, we didn't take a risk. And that's what it's called, regret. And so when we look at the passage um, in Matthew 25, this was definitely true for our one talent man. We named him one talent man last week, but we'll go over the passage so you know who I'm talking about. Let's have a look. I'm reading from the message version just because I like the language that he uses sometimes. It's a little bit of fun. So, but you can still follow along from verse 14. We'll read to verse 30. It's, like this. it's also like a man. So the kingdom of God is like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one, he gave $5,000. So that would be five talents. To another, two talents. To a third, one talent depending on their ability. Then he left. Right off, the first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. The second did the same, but the man with the single talent dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given five talents showed him how he had doubled his investment. His master commended him, good work, you did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant with the two talents showed how he also had doubled his master's investment. His master commended him as well. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, you can be my partner. The servant who was given one talent said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways, that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the one talent, take the thousand, and give it to the one who risked the most. And get rid of this player safe who won't go out on a limb, throw him out into utter darkness. Whoa, that is full on. I don't know about you, but I'm like, whoa, okay, this master is crazy. So if we have a look at the two and five talent men, they, the way that they used their talents, right? So they would have, they went out straight away to invest. And maybe in that exchanging, that investing, maybe they felt a little bit cautious. Maybe they felt a little bit apprehensive. I think it would be pretty natural to feel that way. 
but it's cool because at the end, they actually have no regrets. They have zero regrets. They are commended by their master and they become a partner in with what the master is doing. But see, this third servant, the way that he talks to his master, it's like he, he has no regrets in the very beginning. You, you know how he was talking to him. He's like, I know what you're like, master. I know that you know you want us to be cautious. You don't want, you want things to be perfect. And so I can't actually risk this. So what I've done with my talent is really wise. And, and I know it will just please you. And so that's what this, this last servant is saying. But how much regret would he feel? And, and I'm a bit sad that the parable doesn't really go on to say his reaction, but I think we can all guess that after seeing his fellow servants, both of them become partners, be commended, well done, good and faithful servant, and then for his turn to come, thinking he's all sweet, and then shock up. Absolute regret. Absolute regret. And so this year, we don't want to have a year of regrets. This year, the reason why we've called it Beyond Zero is that we want to go beyond whatever is baseline in our lives. We don't want to end up with another year full of regret from the decisions that we have made. And so it's really important that we learn something from this parable. So the lesson, of course, is that sometimes we need to take risks in order to have no regrets. But the cool thing is, is that this parable is a great lesson, but there's a man in the Bible who actually has this lesson. We can see this lesson being taught throughout his life. His name is Moses, and you can find this story in the book of Exodus. Um, so we're actually going to read from Exodus chapter 4 this morning, but before we do, I just want to set the scene a little bit so we can all be acquainted with this man named Moses. So Moses, going back to his birth, his beginning, he was born as a Hebrew, but he was born into, into Egypt. So his, um, his family were uh, Israelites, Hebrews. So if I use the words Hebrews and Israelites interchangeably, that's, yeah, they're interchangeable, okay? Following? Fantastic, all right. So he was born into Egypt. Um, and so around the time of his birth, Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt, he put out a decree. Um, because he was worried that the Israelites, the Hebrew people, were growing so large, they were really good at multiplying. Um, they were growing so large that he was worried that they would overthrow the Egyptian people. They were becoming too powerful because of their number. And so he put a command out there that whenever, whenever a son was born, whenever a baby boy was born, that that son had to be drowned in the Nile. So, so harsh. I'm so glad we don't have people, you know, Kings say that these days it's terrible. And so, of course, there were some parents that were like, I do not want to drown my son. Um, and so uh, they're in this tension here of obeying the king but, but not wanting to kill their sons. And so um, Moses' mum was one of those people. So when he was born, what she did was put Moses in a basket and floated him down that river Nile, hoping that maybe someone would take him in and he would be able to survive, he'd be able to live. And that's exactly what happened. So Moses was dealt a really good hand, and um, Pharaoh's daughter actually found him in the Nile and called to her maidservants and said, come on, bring, bring this son in. She opened the basket and she saw that he was a Hebrew boy, but her heart went out to him. She had compassion for him. And so she ended up taking him in, adopting him, and raising him in, in her household. And so even though Moses was a Hebrew, he was raised as 
as an Egyptian. He got all the, um, the same things that Egyptians would have access to, well, for him, a little bit more because he grew up in the house. So he, you can imagine the things that he had access to growing up. So that was Moses as a child. Fast forward to Moses as a man, as an adult. One day he goes out to see the Hebrew people at work. And so they're under slavery, they're under forced slavery. So he's going out and he's looking over the people. And he stops and looks at this Hebrew man being mistreated by this Egyptian um, taskmaster. And so something rises up in Moses. He sees this injustice happening and he goes over. In the Bible, the message version says he looks left, he looks right, and he kills the Egyptian taskmaster and buries him in the sand. But people find out. Pharaoh finds out and comes after Moses. And so what Moses does is he flees to the land of Midian, which is a place um, very different to Egypt, in the middle of nowhere. And Moses takes up shepherding. He becomes a shepherd for 40 long years. So you can see the contrast between his life in Egypt as a a person living in Pharaoh's um, house compared to this time out in the desert for 40 years. But... The amazing thing about our God is that he doesn't forget people who are oppressed. He doesn't forget people who are slaves. And so he calls to Moses, and this is where we're going to pick it up in Exodus chapter 4. He calls to Moses, and he he basically calls Moses to go to Pharaoh and to lead the Israelites out of captivity, out of slavery, into a land that God has promised them. So that's where we pick it up in Exodus 4, verse 4 to 10. God is having this conversation with Moses. Then Moses answered the Lord and said, What if they will not believe me or take seriously what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. Then he said, Throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a living serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and grasp it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. You shall do this, said the Lord, so that the elders may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has most certainly appeared to you. And then God proceeds to show Moses two other signs, so that that's something that Moses can take with him. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I'm not a man of words, eloquent, fluent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. For I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute or the, or the deaf? Or the seeing or the blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be your mouth and will teach you what you shall say. But he said, Please, my Lord, send the message of rescue to Israel by someone else, whomever else you will choose. See, I don't want to have much in common with Moses at this point, nor with the one talent men. Don't want to have much in common with them. But the one amazing thing that all of us have in common with these two people is that we've all got a call of God on our life. We've all been created for a purpose that is divine, that is from God. And so that's the common factor here. And in order to to actually live out that life, risks are involved. What are some things this morning that we can learn in order to take those risks. The first thing is to actually see what we have in our hands, see what God has given us, and see the God potential in it. 
You know, sometimes, and I think it's pretty human nature to think too little of what we've got, to think too little of our gifts, to think too little of our talents, our personality type, maybe our career, our background, whatever it is, we just think down upon it. Maybe because of comparison, I don't know, but it's not as great as we wish it would be. And Moses definitely had this issue. Moses, his excuse was that he wasn't eloquent, that he wasn't fluent right in his speech. He just says so, he's like, God, please send someone else. I can't do this. I'm not a good mouthpiece. But you know what the Bible actually records about Moses, specifically about Moses? It's in Acts 7.22. It blew my mind when I found this. It says, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and get this, and was mighty in words and deeds. He was mighty. What a contradiction, right? And I think that's so similar with us when we can see or when we don't see the God potential in what he's given us. We just think so low of it. But other people and God certainly can see that, no, you're actually mighty in that. I've gifted you with that. You're amazing with that. That gift is powerful. And so Moses had this issue that he couldn't say he was mighty in words. All he saw was that he was a fumbly, bumbly mess. That's all he saw. How did he get there? Now, I believe that those 40 years of him coming out of, maybe he remembered, in Egypt I was mighty in words, but after all these years I'm not. I think that's what he believed, but I think really it wasn't that he regressed in his ability to talk. I think he regressed in his confidence. Or he regressed in, in the fact that he could no longer see the God potential in, in what God had given him, his mouthpiece. Now, I don't know if you're here this morning, but I really sense that God wants to lift up your eyes. He wants you to see that he has given something to you because he values you. He believes in your potential. And so he always gives us something in our hands, something in our life that we can use for his glory. We're not useless servants, not at all, but he gives us something as a way of saying, I believe in you. And so that's what he's trying to do with Moses when we see this. But Moses is just... He just can't see it. To the point where God is, God has taken Moses' staff, right? It's a glorified stick for crying out loud. And what God is doing is he's performing signs and wonders with it. I don't know about you, but I've never been able to do that. God is showing off in front of Moses, but still Moses is like, no, no, choose someone else. I can't do it. I can't do it. We've got to be able to see what God has put in our hands and see the potential in it. You know, for for a while, actually, I was a little bit of, like Moses. How many of you have done like those spiritual gifts quizzes? Yeah, from time to time you do them, like maybe growing up, because then you see as an adult how much you've changed or what you've developed. And sometimes we do it as leadership teams. But whenever I do these quizzes, right, there's always one gift that I come out with that I'm like, God, that's not even a gift. And so it's the gift of encouragement in case you guys are wondering. Um, and so I, I come out with this and I'm like, God, this, this isn't a gift, right? Because I think everyone can encourage. It's not that hard. And so one day, like, just after getting it again, I, I had a chat with Matt, and I'm like, ooh, surprise, surprise, I got the gift of encouragement again. And Matt's like, Matt, would you stop? Like, you've got to start seeing the value in that. And, and he was telling me, as a person who doesn't have the gift of encouragement, it's not easy. He, he I love that, like, and he shared this before, but he deliberately has put a note in his diary to encourage people. That's the length that he'll go to in order to be able to do this and, and grow this part of his life. Because the value of encouragement is that you can lift people 
people who are down in the dumps, you can lift up their eyes to see what God can do in their situation. It's powerful in raising leaders and, and team members to see, wow, you've got potential. And, you know, people who are trying to decide something in their life, your encouragement can mean so, so much. So after you said that, I was like, okay, maybe, maybe the reason why I think it's so natural and so easy to do is because it is a gift. It's not natural to those who don't have a gift. And so that's when I was able to start seeing the value in things. And if I can hijack the message from last week a little bit, you're in a community that would so love to point out your gifts. That I, that's what I love about this church, to be honest. Everyone is so encouraging and, and able to see, wow, you're good at those things. And they call it out. They're, they're vocal about it. That's the beauty of being in a community where you're not isolated, but people can help you on this journey of realizing what God has given you. And to be able to tell you, hey, there's so much potential in that. There's so much of God in what you've got. So this morning, what do you have that God is starting to tug at? What do you have that God's saying, hey, there's something in that? I don't know whether, you know, it's something that you've kind of put on, on the shelf, a skill or a talent or a gift that you haven't used for years and years, but maybe it's time this year to get that thing off the shelf, dust it off and put it to use. I don't know if that's you this morning. Or maybe it's something in your background. For Moses, him as a shepherd, he had a staff, right? And so God's now bringing that front and center and saying, hey, you saw the staff was insignificant or for just herding sheep, but I can actually use that now. Maybe there's something in your life that has happened. Maybe it's an event. Maybe it's a, uh, a piece of paper, a degree or something like that, where God's now wanting to bring it front and center in your life and, and is shining a spotlight on it to say, hey, there's potential in that. I want you to start using that. You've got to start stewarding what God has given us. That's the first thing. We can't take any risks if we don't first realize what God has given us. So that's the first thing this morning. We've got to see the God potential in what God has given us. The second thing is that we need to realize that God actually smiles on our risk taking. I remember thinking that, nah, I need to play it safe as a Christian. I, I need to kind of act a certain way. I need to act in a way that yeah, is safe, that is just pleasing to the Lord. And I thought that was being meek and mild and, and you know, just kind of being this nice Christian. But God actually smiled on our risk taking. That master was blown away that his two other servants actually stepped out, went out on a limb with what he had given them, and he commended them for it. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if we flip that around, what pleases God? It's faith. And so what are risks? Risks are putting our faith into action. It's saying, God, I believe who you are, and I believe that you've given me something of potential, that you've given me something that I can use for your glory, and actually putting it to work, actually taking a risk with it, stepping out and believing, having faith, church. I want us to be a... a Lift Church is going to be a place of faith this year. I believe it. So that people who are coming in here, they're not afraid when they walk out of those doors to take a risk. Because they just sense that, you know what, God is for me. Who can be against me? That I've got something to use. I can risk it. And I can make something out of it. It's impossible to please God without faith. So we need faith. We need to put things into action. And you know what was unfortunate for this one talent man is that he didn't think that his master was pleased with risk-taking. He thought, the picture he had in his mind, it was cool, because 
I was looking at these two stories of Moses and his servant, and, and they actually really come together at this point where the, the one talent man, he describes his servant how the people would have described Pharaoh. And we can see this in Exodus 5, verse 4 to 10. It says this, But the king of Egypt, so this, sorry, I'm getting in. So this was when Moses actually said, Okay, Lord, I will do this. God gave him his brother, his companion. I think that was more to kind of irritate Moses than to protect him. But we'll talk about that some other time. Um, and so they are now coming to the king of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and asking uh, Pharaoh, let these people go. Let the Israelites go. And this is where we pick it up. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. In other words, saying, now that they're working, now that there's lots of them, we can get a lot of work done. You are not taking them anywhere. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen. Check this out. You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. So they weren't given tools to make these bricks, as in the past. But let them go and gather straw from themselves. Let them provide for themselves. For the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God, because they don't have enough work to do. Let heavier work be laid on them, on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. So we have here Pharaoh in contrast to this master. Pharaoh is this harsh, harsh man, brutal. As it is, these slaves were poor. As it is, they were their backs were breaking under the labor that they had to do. And then he puts an even harder standard on them and says, you know what, we're not going to provide that anymore. You can go get it yourself. But you've got to continue the work, continue the work and, and do this much every day. You still have to complete the same load every day. And so this one talent man is, is viewing his master in that exact same way. But the amazing thing is that this master in, in Matthew 25, he actually re represents our master, Jesus. And the amazing thing is that Jesus is not like Pharaoh one bit. For God promises us in his word that Jesus gives us grace, that Jesus gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, that God has given us gifts and things that we can actually steward and use. And more than that, God promises his presence, that his presence goes with us. So not only is he there in the beginning of our risk-taking, he's there right throughout, he's sustaining us, he's giving us the tools that we need. He's not like this harsh God whatsoever. If you've been around Lit for any, any amount of time, you might have met this lady named Evelyn. And I love Evelyn because I think she encompasses this, this um, principle so well. Uh, Evelyn and I, sometimes we go out to Kirkland University together and we serve um, the students there. And it's amazing because, like, every time she's there, I see her talking to her students. You know, not talking like, hey, how's it going? But really engaging with them. And it's like the students kind of telling her their whole life story. And then before I know it, they're, like, whipping out their phone and exchanging numbers and things like that. She's just amazing. And, and we're just talking about how 
she is so risky with sharing her, her story of, of what God has done in her life. And I'm like, and, and she was saying, you know, I do feel a little bit cautious on the inside. I do feel a little bit apprehensive, but, you know, it's all good. And, and I asked her, so how can you? How can you actually step up? What makes the difference for you? How can you step up, put this, you know, take this risk? How can you have the courage to do that? And she said, just so simply, but so profoundly, she said, God is for me, so I'm okay if I look a little bit weird. It's absolutely fine with me because God, my God is for me. And she just, it's like she just has this knowledge of God is for her. God has given her a voice, has given her a story, has given her a background that she can use for his glory. And it doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just give us the tools and then run off. But he's actually there in the conversation. She says, you know, he's with me. He's so for me. He, he likes that I step out and take these risks. And, and I can tell that he likes it too because of all the people he sends her way. Honestly, like every time I talk to her, it's like, oh, guess what happened with this person? We had this conversation. I'm like, mate, I just want to be like you. Like, that's just so awesome. God totally trusts you with people to, to talk about him and Jesus. And I think that's just so amazing. I think that's where we need to where we need to go in our routine is that we've got to understand who our master is, that he's not like King Pharaoh. He's not someone who doesn't give us what we need to live out the call in our life, but he totally provides and he, he gives his presence to us. And if I can get the band back up and then we out. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but maybe you don't take to risk-taking as much as you'd like to. You know, maybe you can think about last year or maybe some other time in your life where you regretted the fact that you did take a risk. Maybe you're a bit tentative and always a little bit cautious, more of a cautious side. And that's totally great for some things, but when it comes to stepping out for God, is that you? Are you a little bit cautious? If you are, I encourage you to take a closer look at who your master is. Take a closer look at who Jesus is. That he is actually good and he is kind and he commends us for taking those risks. So this morning, that's my challenge to you. Maybe we need to see our master Jesus a little bit clearer and start believing that he is with us and that You know, the amazing thing is that our Savior Jesus, he doesn't just ask us to take risks and go out on a limb for him, but he's done that already for us. You see, the story of the Israelites, the people that Moses led out, was that they were completely unfaithful to God, that they would follow him one moment and then they'd turn their backs again. You know, that's the same with us. God loved all of us. He loved the whole world that he sent Jesus die on the cross for us. You know, Jesus went to the cross fully knowing that some of us would have turned to him. That some of us would even turn our backs from him. But he took the risk anyway. And in the word it says that for there was joy set before him. There was joy in his risk taking. He saw the joy. He saw the ones that would come to him and he said, worth it. It was so worth it. 
And so this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you don't know that he went to the cross to die for your sins so you could be reconciled to a relationship with God as his son or as his daughter, then this morning I would love to introduce you to him. And so if everyone can just bow your heads and close your eyes, What I want to do is just lead us in a prayer that welcomes God into our lives, into our hearts, and puts Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And the Bible says that if we can believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from death, from the grave, and has forgiven our sins, then we receive the gift of eternal life. So this morning, why you repeat this prayer with me? Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I thank you for reconciling me with God. I thank you for reconciling me with God. I invite you to come into my heart. I invite you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Be my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.